Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Arctic Wolves Challenge Accepted podcast. My name is Ian McShane, and I'm Vice President of Strategy here at Arctic Wolf. And I'm Adam Murray, the CISO here at Arctic Wolf. Awesome. And um, I mentioned a couple of times on previous episodes, that's what they call a callback in the industry. I mentioned a few times that, you know, just how easy it is to get caught up in email scams and phishing and spam. And in fact, you know, I, I, I mentioned a specific one from last summer about you know, having gone into a sporting goods store and come outside and got a scam email purporting to be from that same sporting goods store and almost falling for it. So with that in mind and just everything that's that's going on in the media, whether it's about economic instability, you know, there's all this stuff that makes it a pretty ripe environment for uh, adversaries to take advantage of in trying to you know scam or at least get end users to take some kind of action so with that in mind i'm, I'm stoked for today's topic where we're going to talk about um, business email compromise and we've got a, a very special guest we'll introduce shortly you know ransomware does catch a lot of the, the headlines and rightfully so I, i'm of the opinion that the ransomware is the the primary um, thing that organizations should be um, nervous and wary of when it comes to cybersecurity. But, but honestly, it's surprising how many organizations don't really understand how prevalent business email compromise attacks are. And, you know, we've got a, a report coming up in a, in a week or so where we've got some stats along the lines of 30% almost of, of incident response cases that we handled were some form of email compromise. And so, Adam, how how prevalent are those things in the real world and how much of this do you see well this is a multi-billion dollar industry worldwide and it's an attack that was supercharged a number of years ago uh really through cryptocurrency but some other ways of monetizing it so it's really a money maker right this is this is uh attackers that are focused on usually on making money now i don't want to steal too much of our guests thunder today who can explain a lot more about becs but back when i was in the fbi this was a very common investigation that we would have because it hits all kinds of businesses from large to even very small mom pops um and it just comes through email it's got an unfortunate name business email compromise because it doesn't really i don't love cover it either yeah, yeah. It, it just doesn't really cover the seriousness the severity. Or, really sort of, yeah. or really sort of describe what it is. But essentially, it's an attack that comes through email. It usually preys upon creating a sense of like, like any good phishing, creating a sense of urgency. Mm -hmm. It'll usually mask itself by making you think it's coming from a customer that's sending you an invoice or from an executive that wants you to do a money transfer or something like that. Creates that sense of urgency, gets the person who's mm -hmm. on the recipient, the victim, to not either go through normal procedures or they don't have good procedures and they just do something quickly. And then when the dust has settled, they've sent you know $50,000 overseas or they've <laughs> yeah, yeah. given the bad guys ever, the W-2s for the entire company or whatever it is, depending on uh, what the particular scam is. But but I don't want to go too deep into that because I want to make sure that our guest has a chance to to introduce that. So why don't we just jump into that? I'm really excited about- Yes, please our, do. Me too. Yeah, I'm our, our guest today. We have today uh, Supervisory Special Agent Jeff Collins from the FBI on to talk to us about BC tax and, and maybe some other things. Now, uh, Jeff and I go way back. We work together in the Bureau, but uh, really excited to have him here talk with us uh, about this topic. And I think one of the things happening today that makes this relevant is a, you know, kind of a 
a really big event has happened with you know the failure of a U.S. bank, a major U.S. bank, especially a major tech bank and Silicon Valley Bank, and we want to kind of use that as as uh, part of the way we talk about BECs today. But anyway, I'd like to introduce uh, uh, Special Agent Jeff Collins today and uh, give him a chance to introduce himself. So, hey, Jeff, thanks for coming on with us today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. It's really good to be here today. Yeah, great to have you. One of the things we like to, to, to do is really understand how our guests or, or folks that appear on the podcast um, got into cybersecurity and what their path was to get into that. So if possible, would you mind telling us a little bit how you got to where you are today? Uh, sure. I, you know, I, I've been, I guess, interested in computers, technology since I was very young um, and just kind of navigated toward working in information technology, worked in various private sector companies over the years. Um, but I, I guess I always felt like I was lacking a sense of fulfillment and mission and purpose. And so, um, you know, I was, I was kind of looking for that in, in the same field. And, but I've always sort of enjoyed helping people and kind of trying to make a difference. And so, I, I just kind of was on a path to government work, um, something that would help the American public and try to help the world in a sense um, and still use my passion for technology. That's great. It's, we, it's funny to hear so many folks in cybersecurity use the same words like, you know, mission and, and wanting to do good in general. So what kind of educational background do you have? Is it something that you went through college with an eye on computer science or did you take a, a path less trodden than that maybe? So my uh, both my bachelor and, and master's degrees were in um, information systems and I was passionate about implementing systems in a business environment. But when I got into my master's degree, I, I, they had a, my program had a security emphasis. So a security concentration that I was able to choose and elect to, to take. And so I started into those courses and thought, oh, okay, this is what I love. I love securing things. I love kind of the hunt for, you know, going and looking for bad activity in a network. And it just, presented a unique challenge that I hadn't encountered up until that time. So gotcha. That's kind of, yeah. Got, gotcha. Yeah. And so how did you get to know Adam? I'm interested to know if you've got any dark secrets or, or, or awesome stories that you've got about kicking doors down or something like that. Yeah. So, so it's actually a great story. I, um, you know, it was more than 15 years ago, Adam had moved into my neighborhood. We both lived in Southern Oregon and he had moved into my neighborhood and I, I met him at a, um, I don't know, at an event with some other friends and asked him what he did. And he told me and, and I immediately said, hey, that's my dream job. I just, you know, I clearly, clearly remember that day of saying, you know, that's my dream job. And he was like, really? You know, you'd be perfect for this. You, you know, you're passionate about cyber and security and, and that's exactly what we need in the FBI. And, you know, looking back to that, that moment, that was really the Kickstarter to, to kind of where I am today. And um, Adam helped me sort of navigate the, the process of applying. And um, actually, we, we had started a, a workout group with a bunch of buddies in the area and really with the goal of, of getting me in good shape to pass the FBI's fitness <laughs> test. So <laughs> um, That's great. So, yeah, great, then, great memory. And then, and then fast forward, uh, Adam and I ended up working together in, in Salt Lake City for the FBI and 
So a great uh, friend for many years. That's great. So just talking about the FBI then, what is your, what is your typical work day or work week look like for you uh, when you're thinking about cyber and, and all those kind of good things at the FBI? So I, um, I oversee our FBI Salt Lake City Cyber Task Force, which is, is made up of local, state, federal officers, analysts, computer scientists, a number of different roles. And we all sit in one space in our FBI office in Salt Lake City. And we cover any cyber investigations for Utah, Idaho, and Montana. That's kind of our area of responsibility. And my day is mostly consists of working closely with my team to try to further our, our cyber investigations. And so we're looking to identify those that are attacking um, U.S. citizens and try to locate them and hopefully bring them to justice. So that's that's kind of what we're working on. Yeah, I often say it's one of the greatest things I did in the FBI was getting Jeff to join because he's had a significant impact uh, internationally. He's done investigations all over the world. Most recently, he was uh, a legal attache, which is an FBI position in an embassy in Japan. So he just spent, uh, it was about three years there, right, Jeff? That's right, yes, yes. Yeah, just recently wow. returned from that to become to, to lead the the task force in in Utah again. So, yeah, really great to have you, Jeff. Uh, fun to reunite here on the podcast. But let's jump into the the topic du jour. Could you just give us kind of a high level of what uh, a business email compromise is, and you know who's targeted and how prevalent they are today? Yeah, I you know you're right a business email compromise the term itself is is not broad enough because um it's it's making you think of an actual business when that's not the case it can affect anyone it can affect uh, you know a potential home buyer um anyone who's essentially dealing in some sort of electronic financial transaction it's preying on those people and and preying on those on on all of us because we trust we trust email and so it's a scam that's meant to um, target someone who's using email and trick them into wiring funds to a fraudster, to an attacker, simply put, um, to divert those funds from a legitimate source to the, to the attacker. And um, that's accomplished in you know, any number of ways, but they're extremely prevalent today. Um, billions of dollars in loss every year. And um, you know, it affects even the smallest from the smallest business up to the largest corporation, and they're extremely successful. Can you just walk us through like the story of one of these? I know you've investigated tons, but you know, not giving details of a specific victim, but just kind of walk us through one iteration of what this might look like. So, um, yeah, so so really, the way these might work, um, you know, it it takes a little bit of time to plan for the the, the bad actor might be doing some research looking into a company, trying to identify the employees in that organization. They may, looked at their, they may look at their profile on LinkedIn, try to identify targets of interest. And really their goal is to try to then target that employee, either compromise their email and get into their email or, or try to impersonate them uh, with a spoofed email. Um, and then once they've gained access to that email account, they're going to use that to insert themselves into a, an ongoing conversation. So the bad actor may try to 
um, just watch someone's email. They get inside and watch and wait and look for that opportune moment where they can um, jump into that conversation, pretend to be one of the parties in that conversation, and then say, hey, I need you. Instead of wiring the funds to this bank, we, ha- we made a change and we need you to send it here instead. So the person on the other end is not expecting that to happen, right? They're, they're well, they're not expecting to all of a sudden be communicating with um, a fraudster. They think they're still emailing back and forth with someone they trust. And so um, the bad actor is able to change those wiring instructions and convince that person to to send the money to them instead. So it's it's really that simple. So that's <laughs> happening in, in say like a. Like I'm going to buy a house. So it could just be like, I am talking to the title company. I need to put something in escrow or do the down payment and someone's sitting in their email, just waiting. And then as soon as they get the wire instructions, they'll quickly send an email right after that saying, Oh, sorry, those aren't the right ones. These are the right ones for sure. And then someone will send the money. in. so that's just like a regular person, not even a business. It's not even a business. Correct. That, that sounds very similar to something that I think is called like CEO scams right where and i've certainly had this a few times is where i'll get a, a whatsapp message from an unknown number and it's like hey this is nick schneider ceo of, of arctic wolf and um, i'm in a conference can you do me a quick favor blah 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 and you know inevitably it t- ends up that the ceo needs five thousand dollars in apple gift cards or something ridiculous but is it is it a similar is that is that kind of um, attack similar or linked to the same kind of criminal activity or is definitely, it separately definitely and, and, and usually the same set of actors so you're, you've, they're just trying any number of schemes to target people that would deal in some sort of financial transaction. Yeah, so business email compromise is really quite a misleading term, really, yeah. right, for an umbrella um, catch-all for this kind of thing. Yeah, I recently actually had a friend reach out to me and say they used actually a merger and acquisition and M&A activity as their cloak for this. So apparently, I don't know if they'd compromised someone's email or not, but they got to the controller of uh, the entity of the company that was in another country and said, hey, pretending to be the CFO said, hey, we're doing an M&A. I need you to transfer this money from you know one of our entities to another. Don't tell anyone about it because it's M&A. So that's how they got the secrecy thing. And it's really urgent because we're trying to buy this company. So how much is is that good, like creating a sense of urgency and don't tell anyone else and that kind of stuff? How much, Jeff, does that come into BECs that you're seeing today? Yeah, that definitely plays into it. Um, you know, if you can express some urgency and get the person to wire the funds quickly, it gives the victim organization less time to react, less time to confirm that it's legitimate or not. And you, you're trying to get them to send it fast, and then they can steal the money as, and move it on as quickly as they can. Um so yeah, definitely the case. And I would say another aspect, and this is definitely what Ian was talking about, CEO fraud, um, which is I think a type of BEC would be like attackers watching the social media of executives to see where they are and then using that information in their spoofed or taken over email to gain, to kind of be more legitimate. Like, hey, I'm on vacation. And the person knows, yeah, the CEO's on vacation. Um, yeah. What have you seen of that kind of activity out there? Yeah, that's that's definitely the case. We've seen often where the bad actor will impersonate the CEO and say, "Hey, I'm." Well, you know, they know the person's the CEO's on vacation. They know they're on a tropical vacation out, you know, possibly on a boat where they might not have cell phone coverage, 
and the bad actor is going to, um, you know, insert themselves and say, Hey, I've only got cell coverage for a couple minutes and I really need you to wire this right away. I'm going to be, you know, losing coverage here momentarily. So please send this wire as fast as possible. And again, you know, preying on a sense of urgency. And, um, but we see that quite a bit. It's, it's funny. Well, it's not funny at all. Um, but I was, I was thinking of this exact thing earlier this week. So I hadn't mentioned the SVB bank happened recently. And, you know, I saw a lot of startup founders commenting on LinkedIn saying, you know, SVB have been great to us in the past few years, blah, blah, blah. Or others saying our company isn't affected, even though we had a, a presence with SVB. And all I'm thinking is like, that's just opening yourself up there you're really oversharing on linkedin and opening yourself up to that kind of fraud like i would be as an attacker then looking at those companies for someone in the accounting department that maybe has only been there a short amount of time and is looking to make a good impression and be like hey urgent issue we now need to move it from hsbc which we told the world we moved to from svb and blah 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 so often when i when i hear people talking about social media and the risks of using social media it's more about facebook and twitter that comes to top of mind but uh, certainly for th this week for me like the the level of transparency on linkedin was interesting and i can imagine opens open them up to some specific like targeting attacks there right mm -hmm. for sure yeah you definitely want to limit what you post anywhere personal or professional um, because the attackers will use all of that to their advantage yeah so how do people i know like so when there's a big event, like, um, you know, a worldwide event, some sort of disaster or, um, you know, a war, something breaks out. We all know that fishers use this in general, you know, and then they send out the sort of shotgun effect to everyone. Hey, we're collecting money for the Red Cross. It turns out to not be right. And that, that kind of comes out. This seems to be a little bit different calamity with, you know, bank issues, banking issues around the world, you know, reverberating from this SVB issue. How could you see uh, attackers using this and the kind of information that Ian was talking about on, on LinkedIn and social media for a BEC attack? Like, how, how would this be right for that kind of thing? Sure. So, you know, they're, uh, I think the attackers are literally watching the news and looking for these events and then crafting, crafting their fraud um as a result and, and thinking about you know how can we trick someone um and so they're, they're thinking what would that person accept expect to receive in an email and then they are orchestrating a fraud around that and you know with these bank closures i'm sure that you know many people are moving their funds they're emailing with their you know investment companies and requesting that funds be moved and they're trusting that email transaction. And so, you know, if the fraudster can, can just get in the middle of that conversation um, and, and prey on that, you know, Hey, we're, we're losing money and it's and, and potentially going to lose it all any day now if this bank collapses. And so I, I could see that these bad actors are, are preying on that and can easily convince people to move the money somewhere else. Yeah, that makes sense. I've got, I've got a question for you, Adam. Sure. So obviously, obviously, there's threat actors looking for opportunities. And I'm sure Arctic Wolf being Arctic Wolf, we get plenty of those. But what's the kind of guidance you give 
Adam, as a CISO to the employees, like how do you spot these types of attacks, whether it's through email, whether it's through WhatsApp, like what's, how do you, how would people look out for these? Because by their very nature, they're supposed to be realistic, right? Yeah. So first of all, you target the folks in your organization that, you know, have access to this, right? They can transfer money. They have access to, um, really important employee information. I mentioned one, this is one I investigated where it wasn't a, a wire transfer. It wasn't moving funds to a bank. It was actually getting the W-2s of the employees so that they could commit tax fraud, tax refund fraud, right? Um, so there are other things. They'll target an HR employee and say, hey, and, and in that case, it was I, pretending to be the CEO. Hey, I need you to do this really quick. Can you, you know, zip up all the 5,000 W-2s for the entire company and send them to me, you know, and ended up being a spoofed email address. So there are different versions of this. What you got to do is you got to find the people that, you know, in the finance department, maybe procurement, HR, and you need to train them specially and have them set up procedures that have controls. In other words, you're never going to change the, the banking information based solely on an email, right? You're going to do it based on an email and a second step of verification where I'm actually talking to the person or we have code words or certain phrases, or we only do it through this one system that you have to log into. Um, because now, I mean, I'm getting a little deep here, but like we had deep fakes voice, right? And so you could be having a voice call mm -hmm. and it could sound exactly like, especially if it's a, a figure that's done interviews and things and there, there can be, you know, we can pretend to be that uh, voice. But making sure you have controls in place, two and three levels of verification, before you do things like transfer money and making sure all your different departments have that. So if someone asks them to go out of band, they say no, and they don't do it for anyone, not the CEO, not anybody. Mm -hmm. You don't go out of band to send the W-2s. You only do it through this system that everybody has to log into. So that's step one, figuring out where those important places are and putting the right procedures, controls in place, you know, technical and procedural to make sure that you are very resistant to fraud and this kind of scam. Mm -hmm. And the second thing you do is you want to make sure you have an education campaign for all of your employees, because we, I mean, you see these on LinkedIn posted there all the time and other places where your CEO hits you up in a text and says, Hey, so-and-so <laughs> can I, can you help me out? Yeah. And then it ends up being, you know, I need you to buy Amazon gift cards or whatever it is. Right. <laughs> and you just need to make sure everybody knows, Hey, this is never going to happen. Right. That That's not, you know, you can just ignore those or report them to the security team um, and then there may be more targeted ones. And that's just where the general security awareness training comes in. And what's great is when you see those, when your security team sees those, record them, keep them, and then use them in your next security training. So you can show your employees, hey, this happens to us. And here's one that came to employees this is the real thing. that did the mm -hmm. right thing to, to report it to us. So that's those are two of the things that I see that I do in my organizations to try to make us so that we're resistant to this kind of uh, attack. Mm -hmm. And so that's great for, you know, a organization of our size or, a, you know, fairly sophisticated organization. Jeff, what can, and I use this, I use the word normal in air quotes, what can normal people do to protect themselves against this? Because again, you know, if you don't have the guardian angel of um, Adam Murray looking over your shoulder for you, like, how are you going to detect these things? Yeah, I mean, it, it is difficult. Um but I think there's a, there, there are a couple things, right? So if the, if the attackers are using phishing emails to target, you know, everyday citizens, then you need to do things that 
protect you from phishing emails, essentially. I mean, it's that simple. And and you should be wary of any email that comes into your inbox, regardless of who it's from, and should take steps to verify, is it really from that person? And especially if it asks you to do anything. Um, if it asks you to fill out a form, input your password anywhere, open an attachment, you should be very cautious about doing that. And the easiest step, you know, is verifying that it came from that person and calling them, confirming, hey, did you really just ask me to input my username and password in my bank account website? Um, yeah. it, you know, really that simple. So I guess that would be the first thing I would say to do. And, and, and like Adam said, um, you know, if, if you're at a business, even a small business, and um, you should have some sort of procedure steps in place to have multiple levels of approval before any funds are, are sent. Gotcha. That makes sense. And one of the things I'm really passionate about when I talk to customers or organizations is, you know, understanding that they need to have a plan and not only they need to have a plan, but understand they need to know what that plan looks like. What's the, what's the Mike Tyson quote? Like everyone's got a plan until they get punched in the face. You know, I get a lot of people telling me that they've got ransomware plans, but they've never tested them. And you know, they're something that sits in a, a word doc that their staff frankly have no idea about. So if someone thinks that they have experienced a, a BC account uh, attack, sorry, or, you know, they realize they've transferred money, what should they do? Like, are they going to, are they ever going to get the money back? Should they just give up and carry on? Like, what, where should they start, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the very first thing they should do is call their bank. You know, if, if, you've, if you think you've sent the money to the wrong place, call your bank, report the fraudulent activity. They may be able to help freeze or reverse the wire transfer. Even sometimes once they've gone out the door, they can be reversed. And, um, you know, especially if that money hasn't been withdrawn at the other end, they might be able to help you reverse it. Um, you know, and then the next thing I would say is immediately call the FBI, call your local FBI office or report, or report the activity at our internet crime complaint center, ic3.gov. That's where we encourage the public to file complaints of this nature. We have, have teams that are monitoring for this type of fraud. And the moment we get a report related to this, it's getting sent out to the appropriate office to work on it. And the FBI actually can can often help in in freezing and reversing those funds. Um, I've had several instances where we've been able to do that for victims. Um, but really, the you know time is of the essence. If the victim can report it quickly, um, we have a much better chance of of helping them out. Um, you know, we've we've even had one here um, in in Utah that was. Uh, upwards of $20 million in loss. And we were actually, we wow. were actually able to get that frozen and reversed and get all the money back to the victim. So pretty awesome. Oh, goodness. Wow. That could be like a company ending level of money for, for, for many companies. Yeah. And that, that definitely happens where this puts companies out of business completely. So. Yeah. It's, you, you make an interesting point and it's going to sound like I don't believe Adam, but he, I remember he told me a few podcasts back that any business can pick up the the phone and, and ask the FBI for help. And like number one, I was I was blown away. And then recently, I've, I've been glad to find that I was not the only person that didn't realize you could call the FBI for help. Um, but is is that genu genuinely the case? You can just like look it up in the phone book and call your local local office, your local FBI office, knock on the door and say help. 
That's 100% true. Um, you know, we really are Incredible. here to help. Um, we can't, we can't go out and talk to everyone. We just don't have that many resources, <laughs> but, but we're going to do our best to, um, you know, it's really our goal to establish relationships with the public. Um, my, my cyber team specifically, we would love to, um, you know, connect with companies in the area, um, you know, establish a relationship with them. And, and really our goal is to establish that relationship before there's ever an incident so that when that incident happens, they know who to call. We, we already mm -hmm. have a relationship with them and we can respond and help in a timely manner. I would, I would love to see, I don't know if it's something that our marketing group can, can help with, but I would love to see a campaign for all of our customers to like call your local FBI office once a year or something, at least introduce yourself. That would be great. We would love that. Yeah, that's awesome. And and uh, I love the point you made, Jeff, about time being of the essence. Um, and just a point I want to make there is it's. I think it's really important not to, uh, you know, kind of victim blame here, um, because the faster an employee can report it. So like if I'm if I'm the employee, like the poor secretary or controller at a company or whatever, and I did the dumb thing, the first thing I should do is like I I need to be get involved in fixing the problem. And not try to hide it, not freak out, right? And just and just jump in, um, because that's how you're going to solve it. And I think making sure you have that kind of blameless culture in that way, like, hey, if you if you do the dumb yeah. thing, just try to fix the error. Because um, I know, as the FBI, that's what we do. We come in. We're not saying like, hey, you guys, like, how, how dumb were you to believe this email? We're like, let's just fix it. Let's let's figure this yeah. out and let's fix it. Um, and I think some people are afraid of that. And it is it is hard. It is hard when you've when you've done yeah. the thing you shouldn't to do that. But I think the point is, don't worry about that. Let's just get it fixed. And then we can figure that out later. Can you imagine being the the guy that or girl that clicked the button to send that $20 million? And you know, when you realize you, something is bad, bad has happened, you're like, well, I'm definitely going to get fired. So how do I, <laughs> you know, what do I do here? And I think honestly, in most, in most companies, certainly up until a couple of years ago, like security was the stick that people were beaten with rather than a carrot to help people improve their behavior. But I think that's certainly starting to change as, as I think the culture of this blameless society or blameless cybersecurity society or community is going forward. And honestly, I, I, the amount of times I try and, and talk to people about building trust between security and the workforce, because even today, like the majority of someone's detection and response is going to start and end with an employee. And if they know that they are not going to get into trouble by reporting to security that they think they've done something wrong, you're going to get faster action there. Yeah, most, most definitely. Um, yeah. You know, we, like Adam said, we don't, we don't name and shame anyone. We're just there to help. And we're not, we're not there to look for other problems in your company or network. We're just showing up to try to, you know, make the victim whole and try to get the money back as fast as we can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, hey, this has been amazing, Jeff, to have you on and talk about uh, what's going on with these attacks and in the current threat landscape. So we really appreciate your time. Is there anything that uh, you'd like to mention, plug, or talk about here um, while we got you on the podcast? Well, thank you as well. It's it's been a pleasure speaking with you all today. Um, I hope that this message, you know, affects someone out there and they're able to take some action and and prevent a BEC from happening. Um, my only other advice would be to report everything you see. If you see something that's suspicious, even down to the smallest little detail. Hey, I got this suspicious email. 
it's asking me to do something, please report that at, at ic3.gov. Sometimes you'd, you'd be surprised even something that small can help us piece together who's doing this and find them, identify them and, and catch them. So um, you could be that one person that helps us solve you know, a major um, group that's conducting this sort of activity. So, yeah, thanks, Jeff. And and that website is is the letter I, the letter C, the number three dot g o v. Correct. That's correct. If you're in the if you're you're in the United States and want to report something to the FBI, and something I kind of heard, I'll just capture it in a different way. It's not going into a black hole, even though you may not hear back directly. What you're saying, people actually look at these reports, and something actually happens with them. Is that is that correct? One hundred percent. You know, we. Uh, I'll give you one example. We had a case here that was a, a BC scam, and it was maybe only thirty thousand dollars initially. So not a lot compared to some of these. And we were able to take you know, a dozen other reports from the Internet Crime Complaint Center and piece together and show that actually the person behind this one $30,000 loss was responsible for upwards of $2 million in other losses. And um, that all went into the person's prosecution. The person was arrested and, and is serving about nine years in prison for that for those crimes. So oh, that's it helps. Amazing. Every little bit helps. Yeah, that's that's a great story. So IC3, letter I, letter C, number three, dot gov is a great place if you're in the United States to report any crime. And like like Jeff said, it can be aggregated into a to a bigger case. Well, thank you so much for spending your time with us today, Jeff. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Adam, as always, thanks for your time and your insights. And uh, we will see you next time. Yeah, Great to be here. See you next time.